as we enter into your word today and we look at these saints from old, may we be encouraged in our heart for the lives they live for you are what we strive after. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we talked about some of the heroes of the faith and we talked starting off with like Abraham and some of these great people of the faith with Cain and uh, not Cain, Abel, and, and we talked about Noah, and we talked about the big guys. But now we're going to start looking at some people that are like the second generation of people who walk by faith. Lesser known, maybe, to, to most of us, but yet still like us. These are regular people. See, sometimes we think like, oh, Moses was like something extra special, that he lived an extra, extra special life. Well, not really. He just lived a life. Joseph, he just lived a life. Abraham, he just lived a life. The, the thing that was different is that they responded to a call from God that made them extraordinary. And we all have the opportunity to respond to a call from God that will make us extraordinary. You know, for some of us, even just responding to the call of God to share our testimony with someone, I think one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look around and people are going to come up to you and come up to me and go, I'm here because of you and you're not going to even recognize them. Your actions, what you, what you did with what Christ had given you is going to speak to them. You know? There's going to be people who go up to heaven and, go, and come up to me and go, I never knew you were a pastor. But I'm here because of your life. That's more important than my title. Because that's a life now in heaven. Because of what God did through me. Or my actions. Or my words. Or because I shared with somebody. Whatever. You know? And so, in the same way, we can live, live this supernatural life if we learn from those who have gone before us. So, in your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to start in verse 30. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 30, we're going to turn to, as they went into the promised land. Why am I in Isaiah? I was going to like, there's not even 30 verses in Isaiah 11. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 11, 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Joshua was told by God, after they had this great defeat in Ai, to go, after, to go after Jericho, which was a more fortified city than Ai was. And so they had lost the battle of Ai because they did it under their own power. Then God said, no, this is the way I want you to defeat Jericho. I want you to walk around the city for seven days. Every morning, you walk around the city, just walk around with your band of people. And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk around and you're going to give a big shout and a big horn blast and the city will be yours. Okay. Okay, now Joshua just had a defeat where he thought that he could just go in and, and, and just t take out Ai. But that's not what happened. So this is a defeated general, leader of taking over for Moses, and now walking into a more fortified city, a harder city to get into, with a rougher people. People who are used to war. 
And he says, no, just walk around the city a few times and then give a shout, see what happens. A lot of times in our life, we need to understand, we need to not do it our way. We need to not do it our way. And the way God wants you to do it sometimes is counter, counterintuitive to the way we would think to be, to be done. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. I can't imagine walking around the city and the people, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail when all the French guys are up on the, on the wall and they're hurling abuse at the guys, you know, coming after them, you know. It's hilarious and they start throwing over stuff, you know, with the catapult thing and the next thing you know, cows are flying over and all. It's hilarious, no? Yeah, you got to watch the movie. It's funny. It's funny. But the point is they're walking around the city. I'm sure the people of Jericho are like, what, is, what, what are these people doing here? What is happening? And then when that big shout happened and they fell off the wall, they were defeated. I don't think they wondered what happened. God was at work. God's plan happened. Because when we step away from our plan and allow God's plan to happen, victory in your situation will happen. God's victory, God's outcome. Are we looking up Jericho? Okay. <laughs> like, eyes are wandering, and I was wondering why. <laughs> I thought you were going to show me in a robe walking around a wall. Yeah. So, so the walls fell down, and it, and it collapses because of the hand of God as a group. Because I can imagine the soldiers talking to Joshua. What? You want us to do what? Yeah, just take all your armaments and take everything with you. Because who knows, they may shoot an arrow from up there and you need to protect yourself. But we're just going to walk around the city for a few days. Yeah, and be quiet. And, and they did it. They were unified. Because they understood it was God who told them to do this. Are you convinced in your own life right now, in your own circumstance, in your own wall of Jericho that's happening around you right now? Because we all have them. We all have stuff in our life that is beyond our control. And we wonder, God, what do you want me to do right now? What, what is it that I should step out? What is he telling you to do? He doesn't leave you as orphans, he says. He, he's not going to leave you unaware. If, he, if he's your God and he loves you, He's going to let you know stuff. That's what God does. But you have to go to Him. You have to talk with Him. You need to sit in His lap. You need to do something. He's not just going to shout it from heaven and shake the walls of your house. You got to invite Him in and say, Lord, I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear your voice. Not just a one time I got saved heard your voice, but an every day hear your voice. What is it you have for me today? And it takes our effort to go to God. Now, and here's, here's, here's the thing I know that keeps us from doing that. We're ashamed of our yesterday. We're ashamed of our yesterday. We did stuff yesterday that we know God's not happy with. 
We thought some things yesterday we know God's not happy. We said some things yesterday we know God's not happy with. And because of that, we don't go to him because we're waiting for him to pull out his belt. Those of you that weren't born in the 60s, that's a thing that people would take off to smack their children with. Yes, it works in many ways. Or chancla. <laughs> That's when they're running. You can, you know. I don't know how moms do it, but that thing would hit me and it would go back into my mom's hand. It was like a boomerang. Heat seeking. It would go around corners, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, the point is, the point is we're shamed. And so we think he's going to punish us and he's not like that. You're his children, yes. Maybe... Maybe, maybe those things disappoint him, but he's always wanting to restore us. He's always wanting to reconnect with us. He's always wanting to love us. I love when Peter is talking to Jesus in the upper room. We celebrated that tonight or this morning. As, 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 as he's telling, they go to the, they go to the garden and, and uh, before they go, he's having a conversation with Peter. And Peter says, hey, I'm not going to let him take you. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not deny you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for you and all this other stuff. He's making all these boastful claims. And Jesus said, this very night you're going to deny me three times, Peter. But after that, after that, after you recover, be strong for your brothers. See, he already knew he was going to disappoint him. He already knew he was going to deny him. And Peter didn't even know it yet. And still he offered forgiveness. He offered a reconnection. Later on, when he's up in Galilee, Jesus shows up. They're out there fishing, thinking, okay, that was a great three years of our life. Let's move on now. They see Jesus at the shore, and they, Peter's one of the first ones. In fact, he can't even wait to get to the shore. He jumps out of the boat. Jumps in the water, swims, gets out and gives Jesus a big hug. Because he's alive. And he sees him again. And then at that, around that table, as he's making him breakfast, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he reconnects with him again. That's what, that's what God does for us. But we have to let go of our own, our own way of doing things and go to him. Go to him. He will forgive you because you're his child and he loves you. That overrides how you feel, or at least it should. And don't let that stop you from going to him today. All right. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient, receiving the spies with peace. Rahab was a lady of the streets. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab had a checkered background. Guess where the line of Jesus goes through? Goes through Rahab. God can restore even those who seem to the world lost in sin. You all have a past, each and every one of you. Maybe not like Rahab. Maybe not that bad. Some, some of you may be worse. 
It's not a matter of gradients with God. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does God have a sin scale in heaven? Do you guys know that? Do you know if there's a sin scale? Like there's a number one sin, which is a little white lie. And then there's a number ten sin, which is like murdering your mother. You know, is there? Are you sure? You're positive. We don't talk about it? The Bible, the Bible doesn't say so. Huh? I know, I'm just asking questions. I'm not proving anything. I'm just asking questions. Habakkuk 13 says that God can't even look upon sin. He can't have it in His presence. Sin is an all-encompassing word. There is no gradients to sin. In fact, when Jesus talks about sin, He says says that even a liar won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what kind of lie? The really black, juicy hairy, big lie, or the little white lie, yes, honey, you look wonderful in that dress lie. I wasn't mentioning you. I didn't say, I didn't say that. Just saying in general. Guys get caught with that one all the time. I'm just saying, you ladies. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. You know what I'm saying? Is it that little white liar? Is it that big? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. Sin is sin. Period. And all of us have sinned. So, how do we, how do we overcome that? This, this regular lady listened to these spies, accepted them into her home. She welcomed them, and these are the same people that are walking around her city. Did you know that the entire wall fell down except for one spot? Guess where that spot was? Rahab's house who lived in the wall. All the whole wall fell down except this one little spot where she lived. It's great. God protects those who protect His. God watches over those who watch over His. Those spies belong to God. They were sent by God. And she accepted them as friends and not foes. Even though she was adulterous. Even though she was a prostitute. Even though she had major sin in her life. In fact, she had so much sin, she didn't believe in the God of Israel until the spies showed up. And then she believed. And when the walls fell down, ooh, then she really believed. Not only did she believe, she became one. She got grafted in. Because she married a man who ended up becoming the father of Boaz, who ended up also grafting in a Moabitess named Ruth. And they had a child named Jesse. And Jesse got married. And he had several children, and the youngest one was named David, 
who became the second king of Israel, who God made a covenant with to establish his throne forever, meaning that the Son of God would come from his line. Just because she had a regular life, or an irregular life, if you will, a sinful life, doesn't mean that God could not change things and turn around. Verses 32 to 34. What more shall I say? For time would fail me if I spoke of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put uh, foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their own release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also change, chains and imprisonment. He goes on to say, what else <coughs> can I talk about these mighty saints? I love David. You know why? Any, 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 why would I love David so much? Seriously. When I found out the guy was like 5'6", five, five, I was like, yes! Little king. I like it. And he took out a nine-foot Goliath. By faith. By faith. And he's noted as one of the greatest kings Israel ever had, even surpassing Solomon, his son. But his conquests were by God. But he, as a small guy, knew he had a big God. And that no matter how big the enemies were, he would conquer them. Now, he didn't learn to be a warrior. He was a shepherd boy. Shepherd boy out in the fields. Trusting in God, singing songs. Because most of the Psalms are David, by the way. He was a songwriter at heart. And he loved his God. And so God put him in a position to fight. To fight. There's a scene when him and Eleazar, his buddy, his number one commander guy, were out coming out of their tent in a field called Pater Haram. I love that. He comes out into the field. It's called a field of barley. And there's hills all the way around it. And he's down in the valley in the field. Him and 300 men. And they're going after the, the Philistines. Well, little did they know by night, as they were camped out and sleeping and stuff, he wakes up early in the morning. He gets up to go outside. And he looks up, and there are all the Philistines. Thousands of them. He's only got 300. So he gets up, and he walks out, and he looks out. Everybody wakes up because they hear the cries of the Philistines, you know, doing their, you know, making all that noise. And they run away. The 300 ran. Well, 299 actually. Because one guy stayed with them named Eleazar. Because David started shouting at the armies, You want a piece of me? 
This is my house. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Didn't say that in the scripture. But in the most part, his, his attitude was, this is my land. Because you know who he killed in that same valley years earlier? Goliath. He's like, you want this? Come and get it. And he pulled out his sword. And Eliezer got against his back and pulled out his sword. And they started hacking as the armies came down to get him. Two guys against thousands. They kept hacking and kept hacking. The bodies started piling up around them. They started walking over bodies to get more people. It was a scene out of a movie. And then finally, the 300, or 299 looked from the hill behind and go, they're winning. Let's go help. Punks. I just, I just love the attitude that we would have that kind of attitude when it comes to sharing the gospel. God is drawing people to you so that you could swing the sword of what? Sword of the word. That's part of the armor of God that you wear. And it's time for you to get it out of its sheath. It's not doing any good in there. Get it out and use it as an offensive weapon because God is bringing people into your path, people in your family, people that you run into, that he's bringing them in, that your, that your words and your actions line up. That's part of the sword. And that you then begin to lop for the kingdom. Not that you're killing people, but you're giving them life. You're giving an opportunity for them to be snatched out of the hands of the evil one. These examples of Gideon and Barak, who felt so weak, but yet God showed up in them. Same story about Gideon, right? He goes and fights the Midianites. And he was a weak, scary, I'm scared. He was hiding when the angel of the Lord said, what, mighty man of valor. What? (laughs) Samson was a strange guy because he was weakened by sin. But then after he recovered, after losing his sight, God restored unto him and he killed thousands of Philistines with his might. So all these are examples And they're mighty examples of those who would surrender themselves to the kingdom. Others had trials and mockings. And now the the, the writer of Hebrews is going from Old Testament into modern day stuff that's going on with them. How many of you have been mocked for 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 your faith? We have been. Some of you, because maybe you haven't shared your faith yet, haven't been mocked yet. But as soon as you do, oh, it's even, it's even more juicy when you get it from your own family. Oh, they've been there, done that. You know, I used, to, I, I used to love it. My mom used to call me one of those born-agains. Are you one of those born-agains? My dad said, yeah, he's a holy roller. <laughs> My God. Is that something you get lint off yourself with, is a holy roller? No, just, I don't know what that is. Um, you know, all kind of Jesus freak. 
lost your mind. Don't, don't, oh, it's all, it's all about your faith. You know, you're closed-minded, you're an idiot. All kinds of stuff. But standing firm through the mockings. It says, as it continues on, that they were stoned, were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. None of us have gotten to that point yet. I don't think any of you have been sawn in two lately. I had noticed that you're all in one piece. You're not wearing goat skins or camel hair or whatever, all that stuff. You guys look like you got pretty nice clothes. Destitute? No. And yet we complain. Complain. I had a pair of jeans on yesterday that were skinny jeans that my daughter bought me. No, 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 no. They, they bought it for my birthday. Skinny jeans. I haven't worn them in forever. Now I know. I remember why. Because they make me look skinny. Big top, little bottom. And I'm walking around, I mean, bow legged. Like, you know? No, I didn't have a higher voice. They weren't tight, they were just, just skinny. <laughs> yeah. And, and we start to complain. Oh, Lord, why well, I got to wear these jeans? He says, well, you got five other jeans in there you could put on. Yeah, but this was on the top of the pile. We complain. All these, it says in the next verse, men, and I would say women, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy of them. For they were living for another world. They were living for another person. Beyond themselves. They were living for the kingdom of God and for His righteousness. What did Jesus say for us to seek after? His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about your clothing. You don't have to worry about where you eat, what you eat or what you will wear or where you're going to live. You don't have to worry about that if you seek after His righteousness. Because if He wants to live, have you live under a tree with your head on a rock, you'll be okay with that. Why? Because that's what He wants for you. And you want what He wants for you. Really? Would it be okay? I'm not a... Let me, just, let me just clarify. I believe God has good and perfect gifts for each and every one of us. Okay? I also believe that Jesus said that we will have tribulation and trials in this world. So I'm not going to be all prosperity gospel over here that God wants only good and perfect and great things for you. Only the, only the stuff that's going to make you feel comfortable and peaceful and, and all of that. And then come over here, but then be on the, you know, we're all damned to hell and we're lucky that we're get this breath to live and we're supposed to be under his thumb. No, it's, it's both and. Yes, there's a holy God, but there's also a compassionate, loving, and graceful God. But in the midst of all that, if we are within his will, and he chooses to either to give us prosperity or he wants to give us trials, 
we're okay with that. We're okay because we want God's will. Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He was the Son of God for crying out loud. He was homeless. He had no job. And he quit his job. You know? He quit his job with Joseph and Sons. Carpenters are us. He quit that job to serve God and have no home. He ate with whoever would feed him. He trusted in his God to feed him and his companions. How are we doing with that? Are we okay with that? Or do we have an expectation? God, I'll believe in you and I'll love you and I'll follow you if you give me this standard of living right here. You got to meet this standard, God, because of, you know, and obviously I can't, you know, give to you until you give this to me. Oh, and I'll, and I'll pray, Lord, you want me to give more to the church? You want me to give more of my time, my talent, my treasure to the church? Well, then you're going to have to give more first. It don't work that way. Sorry. And if you hold back, you'll never get it. So you've got to let go of that. What did Jesus say? If you want to gain something, lose it. If you want to get, give. If you want to keep something, give it away. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, verse 39, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What does he mean by that? They didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive God's very best. They, they, they received their provision for that circumstance and for that moment. But the promise, Abraham didn't see the multitudes. Abraham didn't see every nation being blessed because of him. He didn't see his, his, his descendants as the sand and the sea and then the stars in the sky. He didn't see that until he died. He knows it now. All these people by faith were giving promises that were accomplished later. But because of faith, they stood fast in the promise now, knowing that there was one to come. That God would accomplish what He said He would accomplish. God will accomplish what He says He will accomplish in you. You just need to stand firm. You may see it now, but you'll definitely see it later if you don't see it now. Are you okay with that? Because that gets us out of our own perspective into God's perspective. God's perspective is eternal. It's a little bit more long-term than ours. Our perspective is like now, like right now, like five minutes now, because we're all microwave people. There's a few of you here that are slow cookers, but most of us are, most of us are microwaves, you know. Some of you understand that it may take a while. Some of you get impatient if it doesn't happen in the next five seconds. But as we endure and as we wait on God's timing, 
We learn things we're supposed to learn, and part of it is faith. We learn how to activate our faith. We learn how to believe in a promise, and we believe in the promise giver to accomplish that promise. So, to close up chapter 11. Abraham, if you're kind of taking notes here, Abraham's faith was to offer up his son in obedience. Jacob and Esau was to believe in future blessings. Joseph, his hope was rested on the promise of going back to the promised land. Moses chose God over the world. Joshua believed in the power of God over the power of his own army. Rahab believed in the God of the Jews and not her cultural gods. Gideon Barak, weak, but in God's power, victorious. Samson, a sinner when he was strong, a believer when he was weak, and made strong by God. And Samuel and David triumphing, triumphing over their enemies, even though they were much stronger than they. I hope you'll grab hold of one of these saints, now saints, not saintly when they were alive, for the most part, but became saints once they believed and walked with God. That's us. That's us here this morning. Believers, walking with God. I hope that this would encourage you today. It encourages me to pull out my sword and start lopping off heads for the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. <coughs> thank you, Lord, that these men and women of faith truly believed in the unseen God that can do things in the seen world. That, Lord, you're just not some idea, some philosophy, but you are alive and breathing and active in this world. And you're active in our life. Jesus, you said greater things will we do if we have the Holy Spirit and if you go to the Father. Well, you're with the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit. Now it's time for us to do greater things. Greater things in our life and our circumstances, Lord, by faith, may we be obedient to you. May we trust in your word and your promises to us, Lord. I pray that for each and every one here today, Lord, that they would not, not deny your presence in their life. But, Lord, they would move by faith and trust in your word to them. Lord, help them to come to you even though our yesterdays may not have been the best, today you still want us to come to you. You still want us to go to you. You still want us to believe in you and walk with you and talk with you and hear from you. Our concerns are your concerns. So Lord, this morning I pray that we would give our concerns to you because you change things, Lord. You do things. And we want to be a part of what you're doing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.